test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to another episode of Embrace More. This is episode 30. Welcome to episode 30, y'all. I'm joined here by my main man, Carl, and we are back to discuss neighborhood bias. And today we have a special guest for y'all. Um... To, to teach, you know, I don't know about teachers, but she's she's definitely here to kind of help us learn more about the topic. So today should be a great conversation. But first, before we get into that, uh, we have our big facts segment. Again, our big facts segment is where we either me or Carl will shout out people, organizations or events happening in Richmond already, already here making a difference. Uh, and this episode shout out goes to women helping others that is women helping others they are who va um and they i mean they are already like they're taking donations in uh they're working with taylor fridges uh, i know they have a community fridge in jackson ward that you can uh give to uh and they're just doing a lot of awesome work in virginia or, or in richmond so just wanted to highlight them and lift them up uh big facts doing a great job uh so if and you are also able to join or help out uh, women helping others as well. So you can just go to the website or the Instagram and they have information there. Um, their Instagram will be in the show notes. So make sure you check that out if that's what you want to be a part of. Dope. So, uh, Carl, have you heard of women helping others? I have. That's yeah, dope. I first heard about it through RVA Community Fridges and their partnership through Instagram. That's awesome. Yeah. So mm-hmm. check them out. I would love to... Uh, I don't know, just link up with them at some point and talk to them and even help serve at some point. Yeah. So we promised y'all we would come back and discuss this topic of neighborhood bias. Uh, Last episode, we had an hypothesis. Um, But first, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Just just a disclaimer, y'all. This is part two of our Biased Neighborhood series. This episode, we welcome special guest Kim Lamite to discuss our topic and help us learn more about um, just what goes into all of the thinking, the mindset, how it impacts children, um, and just discuss more from from her point of view. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kim Lamite to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So awesome to have you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for coming to talk to us because uh, me and Carl don't know everything uh, I don't know if you heard the other episode but um, when I don't know everything I, I ramble so I'm sure I said a lot of things <laughs> that may or may not be true <laughs> I don't know yeah. um, I listened to it it was actually <laughs> quite it was it, it was really invited people to sort of think about the topic though so it was really good the way you presented it and that was the point, y'all. See, Solid. see, y'all was coming at me sideways about rambling. That was the point. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Kim, um, we have a hypothesis that we came up with last show. We said that we, or where a person grows up and the resources allotted them in those neighborhoods will dictate their worldview or their outlook on life. Okay, that's that's our mindset. That's our hypothesis going into this here. Now, that may be right or that may be wrong, but hopefully some of our questions and just hearing you discuss some things might help us to land whether or not that's true or not. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So That's good. Uh, let's dig. Let's dig right into it. Yeah. Um, so a case, uh, a study collected from census data takes a sample of uh, 20.5 million Americans born between 1978 and 1983 who are now in their like late 30s to analyze how their neighborhoods impacted their quality of lives. It reveals that the average household income, incarceration rate, and employment rate can dramatically differ in communities not even blocks away from each other. Uh, and this is a Pittsburgh neighborhood study. Uh, can you talk about some of the disparities that come along with living in difficult neighborhoods? Yeah, yeah. I've, I think, you know, a lot of this is coming from my own lived experience. Um, so um, we're in Virginia, right? But I was born and raised in um, a community up in Long Island, New York. And uh, it's a little town called Wine Danch. Um, There was actually a write-up in the New York Times about the differences between um, a town called Wine Danch and a town called Levittown um, and how the graduation rates, um, the teenage pregnancy rates, the, you know, the, the chances that somebody would go to college, like there was just huge gaps um, between these two towns and, and sort of the underlying factor mm-hmm. was, you know, definitely um, uh, income and, and race um, were, were sort of the underlying factors there that, that just were undeniable. And, um, you know, when I read the study, I think I always knew growing up that I lived in kind of this unique situation. Like wine dance was, we used to jokingly say it's where the winos dance because every time we we drove to down Main Street, you know, it's straight path is really the name of the street. But um, we drove down the main road. You'd sort of see the guys with their their packages, you know, standing outside post office, standing yeah. outside the little tiny butcher shop. And there really was never a supermarket where in my town we had to go to the next town over. So I saw all of those disparities, you know, and, and if I drove to Levittown. You know, yeah. I'd have to get out of there before sundown um, because you just don't see people like me mm. living in that area. So. So, yeah. So firsthand, I sort of saw the differences, how that shapes people. Yeah, I would say it definitely points people in a certain direction, but you still have to walk the path. There's something to be said about social programs. I know people sort of like get hives when they hear social programs. I was a product of a ton of social programs. Head Start, you know, my parents plugged me in Head Start right from the beginning. I was getting the free breakfast, the free lunch, all the little like learning instruction. And from there, my mom says to the teacher, like, I don't think I want my kids to go to the public school here. Like, what do we do? And then the teacher shared some knowledge like, hey, take your send your kids to parochial school. Like, I don't know if you all remember that word, parochial school, parochial school. Right. So it's Catholic school. You know, I'm not Catholic. Right. I can go to Catholic. My mom and dad are actually they migrated here in 1959 from my mom from Selma, Alabama. My dad from Tuskegee, Alabama. They married. 
And in 1959, okay. it was sort of this wow. great migration to get out of the harsh oppression of the South. And they landed in New York with the help of friends right. and family and uh, try to condense a, a lot of decades into just a couple of statements. But what I will say is, yes, I am. I benefited from those programs. You know, my, my parents recognized education was the way out. And so um, putting us in private school, mm-hmm. we definitely looked different from everybody there. But we did it. We weren't even the the same religion. You know, back then, these denominations were very strong. Right now we have non-denomination, but we stuck with that. We used everything we could, you know, to sort of like jump those hurdles because the path was you graduate. If you graduate, you get married, you stay right where you are in, in this town. And, and maybe you end up working at a hair salon. Yeah. That was the path. And, mm. and so, yeah, so those programs. And then I ended up having a love for dance. And so my mom plugged me into a program that was a startup by a social worker. And what she did was she taught not yeah. just dance. She taught excellence. And she charged us a third of what a ballet studio, you know, you think about these dance studios, they charge you a lot of money. She charged a third of that. So my mom could afford it. And right. I walked there and, and sometimes got a ride, but sometimes mm-hmm. walked. And uh, in that program, I ended up traveling to Germany, to Belgium, to Holland to dance. Um, and, and so now my mind is like wow. exploding with options and they took us on, on college tours yeah, yeah. and they showed yeah. us things. They introduced us to, um, fashion and celebrities in New York and Harlem. you like, I just, all of a sudden, what could have been a very limited biased experience because of where I was started, I was standing in the uh-huh. center of a prism of opportunities if I work hard and focused. So, yeah. So I think your hypothesis carries a lot of weight. It certainly is person's beginning, but it doesn't have to end there. I wanted to um, dig deeper even into uh, the social networks and and, uh, kind of programs that you were talking about. Uh, And I guess if you can, because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like how important are social programs and networks that are created in neighborhoods, how important are they to the development of young people? I mean, you just you just kind of told us how important it was to you. But that, that even made me think, how important is those type of programs in neighborhoods for our youth's development? I'm going to talk about my own research for a quick second. When I was an undergrad, a couple of friends of of mine, we started a program in the Bronx, New York. We went to one of the elementary schools and talked to the principal like, hey, why don't we help your uh, elementary and middle schoolers become more disciplined? So we called it Junior ROTC. Okay. So, I mean, we just created this, right? We don't know what we're doing. You know, I had a friend who was interested in military. He wasn't even in military himself. He just thought this is a great idea. And I was like, yeah, I think this could change some kids. We probably had 55, 60 kids signed up for this program. We got them uniforms. We took them on drills, outings. We did camping trips. We did tons of stuff. 
So for my graduate, for my uh, undergraduate thesis, I said, hey, I'm going to study this. Is this a thing? Like, did this change these kids' self-esteem? I, I measured these kids against Boy Scouts. I went and found a bunch of Boy Scouts, about 200 of them, actually, and measured them compared to some of these kids. And the self-esteem index that I used, there was a significant difference in their yeah. how they felt about themselves. The other piece wow. that I didn't analyze at the time, but now I'm looking back, all of the kids we were working with were BIPOC. They were black. They were Hispanic. They were Indian. They were from, they were all brown. Maybe a handful of people who were yeah. white, kids who were white uh, in this Bronx neighborhood. And uh, all the kids that I measured at the Boy Scout camp were, were Caucasian. Never looked at the race dynamic, but like now that's becoming so relevant. But it was really the, what I was looking at was the social program. So I think it is yeah. extremely important to give kids something uh, that they yeah. can build on. Um, you know, we weren't trying to train them to become soldiers. We were just giving them a foundation for discipline um, yeah. and for, for how do you set goals, meet goals, and feel good about yeah. yourself in the process. Yeah, self-esteem in general is, is really important for kids. Uh, also, disclaimer, for those of you who are listening, I know that me and Carl both said that we will not be doing any type of research and reading some of these questions uh, put together by the amazing Gabriella Santana, uh, shout out to Gabriella. <laughs> uh, she helped us prepare for this episode. So me and Carl didn't research anything. Okay, these are uh, questions and stuff that our amazing producer put together, uh, and she sent us. So we we didn't we ain't cheating, y'all. Just want to point that out. Disclaimer. Uh, but uh, moving forward, um, so like, I also wanted to dig into some of the mental and even physical health. Uh, pieces of, you know, neighborhood, the neighborhood effects. Um, so like, you know, it's not just socioeconomic, um, but it's, it, it can impact your health or even your mental state. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe your proximity to fresh food or school districts or public health facilities, uh, access to clean and safe places. Um, obviously these things are important to an environment. Uh, can you speak on how one's health is affected, both mentally and physically, possibly? Um, I think to a small degree, you know, I'm a I'm a licensed school psychologist. And so I've watched kids um, from different um, areas eat very differently. Right. So I watch kids come to school, <laughs> you know, with the big um, uh, sweet roll. Right. Huge sweet roll. You know, like this is how the kid is starting his yeah. day with this highly sugared up product uh, versus the other kid that maybe mm -hmm. their parents were able to cook them something or they were able to get like a yogurt. Yeah. So I, I, I do know that those things make a difference. We definitely know that, you know, those high fructose corn syrup products are certainly going to affect the body differently. The kids that's always coming with something from the, you know, the dollar menu on if the McDonald's, um, you know, is going to get something different. Yeah, I think, too, you know, in schools, though, they are getting nutrition, you know, like it's not like, you know, I, I guess right. it's it, it, it's not always grim. But but the longevity piece does impact me when I see, you know, now that I'm, you know, sort of in my golden years, I certainly see people who are my age 
who are dying. You know, I've, I've experienced this now a couple of times in the last year. And I'm like, man, it's the black men, you know, like what's happening. Why is that happening? Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm just as baffled by it as you are because they're, there are yeah. products out there and I'm just, so I, I, that, I have that question as well. What are, what are we missing in our communities? And is it that once we get sort of pointed in that yeah. direction, once we start out with the sweet roll as a kid, that's all we had. And then we just, it's hard to change the mind, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard to change the, the taste buds to get excited about a carrot. Yeah. I went to Italy and I see a kid getting yeah. pushed in a stroller and he's got a, a carrot. I mean, the full thing with the, the green hanging off in it. And this, yes. <laughs> like Bugs Bunny? And and enjoying it. Enjoying it. <laughs> wow. Man, I, th- that makes me think, you know, even going back to how we talked a lot last episode about how the neighborhood is kind of structured and talking about even Richmond's makeup, how in certain areas you go, you're not seeing grocery stores and you're not seeing, you know, markets uh, and stuff like that. You're not going to see a Whole Foods or uh, a Wegmans or anything like that. Uh, you, you're not seeing, you know, banks or uh, hospitals or stuff like that. And these like resources. Um, but you are seeing corner stores. You are seeing, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, markets that carry like, you know, like 7-Elevens, you know, like you know, candy and chips and sodas, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm a school teacher. Um, so, you know, I see a lot of, I guess, some of the same things. And, you know, there, there's a number of kids who are black and brown who I see um, that moved to this side of town from a certain t- uh, part of town. And I can see that those habits are still there. Um, how, you know, like I'm, you know, everybody has a lunch pail. And this one kid, you know, she just has, you know, a huge box of Mike and Ike's. And I'm like, is that your lunch? And, you know, she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, this is my lunch. And, and every day is some type of box of yeah. candy, candy bar yeah. or a bag of chips. That's their lunch. And I'm like, man, I'm like, man, there has to be something, you know, I, that has to impact you. Um, in some type of way, you know, not just like, oh, health, health, health. But I think the the mentality of our, you know, our students, our kids, our youth is impacted by consistently eating, kind of filling yourself with the junk and never really getting fresh, clean nutrients, you know. Um, it's just calories. It's just calories, just empty calories, you know. And I think that's that's even a, you know, a picture of what it looks like is like, you know, some people get the empty calories and some people get the, you know, actual food, wholesome food, (laughs) the whole foods to foods. (laughs) I'm sorry, whole foods. (laughs) Please do. I'll I'll push back on that. Is, Is that, is that a culture? Is that like a racial divide there? You think? I mean, I, I think there are probably many Caucasian families who are struggling with those mm-hmm. same challenges. They can't yeah. get there. You know, either the kid's too picky or, you know, whatever it, it whatever the reason. I do think food, nutrition, this society, the way I see it, is just like it's more of our societal. Mm-hmm. It's almost our yeah. 
uh, cross to bear here is United States. You know, we learned how to preserve food. We learned how to pack food with all these delicious fillers to make them more appetizing. Um, you know, people coming from Europe, they fear coming here. They're like, my God, my kid's going to end up, you know, hacking on the pounds mm-hmm. because the food here is just incredibly rich. Um, you know, the FDA and, and the restrictions that you have in, in other countries are very, very different. Um, a Mediterranean yeah. diet is absolutely fabulous. I think we know nothing about yeah. um, how to yeah. eat here, so that's- just as a country. But you're right. Not Growing up where there's just a food desert, that's going to add to it. But I think there's food deserts in just as much mm-hmm. in the trailer right. park areas as there are in, in maybe yeah. so know, that would be black even, and brown and Latino areas. Like uh, you think about suburban where they're you know, pretty afflu- influential in, in comparison to other communities where it's more or less convenience. You know, they'll go for the 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 empty carbs or the not the carbs but the calories and they're just the nutrition there that could even follow through to what we're thinking you know that will affect eventually somebody who who in their old age is just not as healthy yeah i mean i think there are correlations between they looked at you know bmi i'm just gonna say bmi but like i get it yeah it's just not the same okay but i will I've had a personal it's just really with BMI now. It's not a thing. Um, but it's so wrong. It is, but there are yeah. those correlations, you know, in terms of longevity. Um, but certainly, yeah. we need, we need yeah. our own BMI. So, so, right. My doctor I mean, said my kids that uh, he wants me to lose, or he wants me to get down to two hundred and eight pounds. I was like, "How, sir? Like, <laughs> my how? Like, yeah, right? even if." It turned into fat, or like I lost weight, and it, it turned, or it turned into muscle. I'm still. There's no way I'm getting down to 208. I don't know what I. Look, I would look sick if I was 208. Yeah, um, I'd be concerned. <laughs> Carl would be concerned. And and that might be the. You make a really good point right there. You know, a lot of what we use in medicine and in psychology for me and my husband's a, a, a physician. It's based on research that's coming out of a long history of of studies on Caucasian people, right? And so a lot of our basic foundational understanding about health, mental health, or physical health is coming from a set of Mm -hmm. data that doesn't reflect me. Yeah, Yeah. that has, a, I think, a terrible impact on our communities, but it's part of a system. And what you put into the system is what you're going to get out. And I deal with this in, in my fields, and we have to make sure that we're getting data, but also input and perspectives from uh, you know, diverse, you know, that's a buzzword, but a variety of socioeconomical inputs, but also age, race uh, in particular. So, yeah, I think we sometimes, you know, we want it to be um, an easy answer. Boy, if we just had more stores we love y'all we, we, we want to be sponsored Whole... by y'all if we, we do love y'all for real that's the only reason we why really I see do y'all. yeah and, and and i'm seeing so many of us you know you know there's so many brown people in whole foods so right. you know it's not like we're not getting to there but um I don't know if just if it's just a matter of opening up the right store mm-hmm. in in the neighborhood 
I do think there are mindsets that go beyond just access. That's interesting. Access. Because, I mean, I think that was my whole, uh, at least, you know, that, that was my whole thing was that there are certain people and obviously, you know, the show has moved from race. So we don't want to act like, oh, it's just about race. Once again, it's the race thing. You know, uh, we kind of moved from that and we understand that, you know, when we talk about certain people or some people, we use that blanket phrase. It is poor people and there's poor people of every color. And uh, what we're trying to do is highlight certain people. Their neighborhood looks like this. And this is these are the resources allotted to them. And that gives a different experience opposed to living in a neighborhood that has everything, all the resources and why that is. And so many like that, you know, that was my thing. I was like, man, it's the resources. The resources are impacting these neighborhoods in different ways. They're fostering different mindsets. And when these Mm. two mindsets collide, they don't understand each other. And that's I mean, we watched that happen in 2020 where we had a whole bunch of people that didn't understand each other. But, you know, we learned back in our episode where we, you know, we interviewed uh, a friend of the show, actually, um, Mr. Dickerson. Uh, He, you know, he voted for Trump. And a lot of people were against that, you know, but we wanted to sit down and hear him and understand him and learn from him. And it had everything to do with his upbringing and where he came from that made complete sense. Oh, that's why you would vote Republican or that's why you would vote for Trump. That makes complete sense now that you explained it. Uh, Not that he hates other people. It's just that that makes sense for him and his family and where he's from and you know, his, his upbringing, his mindset, it makes sense to him to, to do that. Um, so, I mean, diving into this and having you come talk more about it is I think really great for, it's really great for us, um, to even kind of expand our perspective, but also for our listeners to kind of expand their perspective on, um, it's not just about one thing, you know, everything's not black and white. Um, and it's huge to understand. So we definitely thank you. We have more questions for you though. (laughs) There is a um, yeah, and I'll I'll throw this out here too because this is something that you know just for kicks. If you're like me, like a bit of a geek, um, I think it's uh, Harvard uh, has this uh, link where you can actually look for look at your mm. own bias, right? And it gives you these reaction time studies. I see some nods. You guys might know already about it, and it's like how do you react uh, to not just black, white, but it's like. Um, body type and gender and, you know, a variety of cultural pieces. Um, it, it, it's really fascinating because we all have some kind of preference, you know, bias really starts as a preference. Um, yeah. you know, we, you are what you eat, you, you are what you think and you are what you've been exposed to. Um, it's 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 the trick is really to flip that and realize like, OK, I've got one way of looking at it, but I want to get to your way of looking at it because that fascinates yeah. me. Um, and that's when the brain starts to expand. Um, and so there's this great book called Culturally Responsive Teaching oh, yeah, in the Brain by Hammond. Um And it's just this idea that we form connections 
um, because of what we're exposed to. But as we expose people to more diversity, the brain grows, right? If I, if you expose me to another language, my brain has to expand now to accommodate that. Um, and so that's sort of the idea behind this sort of culturally responsive way of thinking. It's like, wow, I know how I think about things. I want to know how you think about things. Can you name drop that book one more time? Not that I'm going to... Yeah, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. Yes. Put that in your book book wish list, uh, listeners. Wow, we wrote that down. (laughs) That's like an amazing book. Great. Thanks for that. Um, So um, just kind of moving forward here, um, we we often think, I mean, especially me, uh, I don't know about Carl, but I can be very like, like, what's the solution? What's the solution? You know, and like you had already said, it may not be a solution or just one quick fix or solution. It's not necessarily about, okay, there's no resources there. They just put resources there. Um, but mm. I guess, uh, what, what social support systems are even necessary to change or challenge the circumstances of marginalized communities. Yeah, um, that is such a big question. <laughs> Can you ask it again, Don? That's great. I will. Uh, what yeah. social support systems are necessary, or even like what? Let me ask it this way: What are some things that can help change or challenge the current circumstances that's happening in certain communities? I'm trying to think of the quote. It's kind of like, you know, until you feel my pain, you don't see the need to change. So, yeah, yeah. I think we have to really try to walk in that other person's shoes and find out what they need. Um, You know, we do. We like to go down to the to the hood and give Christmas gifts, you know, and and spread the love. But really, is that what the person needs? Um, and so really having that eyeball to eyeball conversation, um, story did a one small step project mm-hmm. where two people could sit in a similar situation like we are right here and have just a, you know, I just want to hear what your story is. And I want you to he- listen to what my story is, you know, and it's, it's that kind of like, I I just want to see it from your eyes um, that I think will help people to begin to even brainstorm some some solutions. Mm. Um, Yeah. And that's that's a great example and uh, not a plug for StoryCorps, but beautiful things come out of people that come from different places um, in circumstances like what StoryCorps is putting together. And they're actually here in Richmond for a Mm. while. Yeah, um, putting stories like that t- together. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. There's a, and there's a children's book that's pretty fun. Um, it's uh, the Seven Blind Mice, and uh, you know the the each my each mouse goes out that morning and to explore, and there happens to be an elephant right outside their their little door. 
I was going to say hut, <laughs> and you're saying door like they lived in a high rise. I just thought because it rhymed, um, you said it went outside to explore, so that but there was an elephant right outside there. We're writing door. the book right now. <laughs> That's good. You're dropping it. You're dropping it. That's um, nice. And uh, yeah, they they each come back with their experience from the elephant. Mm. And one is like, you know, they're blind, right? So one is like, it's a snake. <laughs> the other one's like, it's a big column. The other's like, it's a mountain. And essentially they each ran along a different piece of the elephant yeah. and came back with their own little version of what this thing was. Uh, and then it was like the last mouse that that said, no, I, I walked from tail to nose and up and down and the whole thing. Mm. And then I realized what it really was. Um, wow. It's a great kid's book, um, but I think adults need it. Yeah. You have good yeah. range with your your, uh, your literature. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fair. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to keep some of the some of the, the things I don't want to share too much about what I'm thinking or the impact of this conversation because uh, I want to save that for the next episode. Yeah, you listeners out yeah. there, you got to wait till the next episode to understand uh, or to know. But yes, Kim, thank you so much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Kim Lamite. Uh, she has definitely uh, taught us something different. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and uh, just speaking and sharing your life. I mean, that's what this podcast was built on this is this was the whole point and purpose was to uh to meet people and to uh engage in their experiences um not necessarily just sharing our own uh so thank you so much for just blessing us with your your life and your experiences Thanks, it's definitely it definitely taught us something and that was the point so um so hopefully out there listeners out there hopefully uh kim's words and stories was Hopefully it dropped something. Hopefully it, you know, it, it struck a nerve. You know, hopefully it did. It did something. I don't know, Carl. Do you, do you have things that you can't could share today, but can't share today? What do you mean? Like we have another episode to do to share about our experiences with this conversation. Oh, absolutely. But I also right. have more questions for Kim. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so, I, I'm back. done with my questions. I'm gonna kick it to Carl because I've I've learned and now I need to like bake. In that learning, <laughs> bake and you're learning. Bake, I'm a cook, so I can. Never mind. Oh no, I hear that. Yeah, no, I think we could actually go on and on, Kim. So if you're interested in coming back, we'd love to have you. Wow, I I'd love to come on back. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, thanks, Kim, uh, for for joining us and stuff like that. If you are listening and you are on the edge of your seat, you got to wait till next episode to hear the final conclusion of what we what we thought we knew, what we've learned, and now moving forward, what is what is our mindset now, and what would that mindset lead us to do? So, if you've been rocking with us, if you want to rock with us, if, you, if this is your first episode, please go back and listen to the episode before, just so you can kind of understand our journey with neighborhood bias. Uh, and what we were thinking and getting this to is just it's all part of a puzzle. So please go back and listen to that. Uh, please make sure that you, uh, you know, follow us on Instagram at embrace underscore podcast. You can check out our Reddit or check out our Reddit page as well um, at embrace underscore M-O-R. Uh, thank you guys so much for rocking with us and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. <laughs>